We welcome You in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it is our hope that You will find in this hour peace to your souls and joy in the forgiveness of Christ our Savior. Uh, King David was a a musician, and he would play for the great King Solomon and or Saul. And he was and it says in the scripture that it would be soothing music to him. And I, that's what I was thinking of when I heard that this morning. Wasn't it beautiful? Soothing to the soul. When we come into the presence of God, we come with adoration. We come with a solemnity born of reverence and of respect and honor. I once read the story of the famous American baseball player, Babe Ruth. When he visited Europe, he traveled to England, and he was invited to meet the king. But before his audience, before, with the king, Babe Ruth was instructed in court etiquette on the proper, and on the proper protocol for how one addresses a monarch. And they told him how he was to give obeisance, a bow maybe expressing deep respect to the king of England. And then they went and they rehearsed it. And they taught it to Babe. And he said, I understand. So finally the doors to Buckingham Palace were opened. And the official came out and greeted Babe Ruth. And escorted him into the presence of the king. And as soon as Babe Ruth saw the king, he walked in and said, "How, king, how Hello king, how you doing? It was obvious Babe felt no sense of gravity, no sense of majesty, no awareness of the augustness, at least, of the office of a king. He treated the king lightly rather than with glory. Some may ask you, they have asked me, why do you wear suits to church? Why do you, why do you dress up? Why do the saints dress up in their best? Why do you request silence and order in your services? It is because we come to worship not an earthly king, but the king of kings. The prophet Isaiah said when he saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Isaiah hid his face on the ground when he saw the Lord, and we would do the same if he walked into this room. To to come and worship our King Jesus Christ is the most important, sacred, and dignified thing we do in this life. Let us rejoice in this privileged occasion. For a call to worship, please meditate upon these words. Ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and into an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. We will stand to sing hymn number four, O Worship the King.
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Lord, we want to praise you this morning, for it is a glorious morning, and we have seen the sunshine and the colors and the trees, and recognize that all things testify of thee and thy greatness. Father, we have um, gathered together as a small portion of the body of Christ, come to, to worship, to praise. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the gift of music and those that are willing to, um, to share that gift with us and the opportunity to sing. Lord, we, uh, we recognize your goodness to us, your mercy and patience. Father, I ask that um, your spirit would rest upon us, would prepare our hearts and our minds for those things that you have placed upon our brother Joe to deliver at this time. Lord, help us to be responsive to that sweet spirit and that we may be enlightened and filled and desirous to share what you have given. For you have given us your son who gives us hope for eternal life. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We find these words written in the uh, First John, the fourth chapter, the final two verses. If we love him, he loved us first. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen... How can he love God whom he has not? And this commandment have we from him, that we also loveth God, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. You know, mankind has been given two remarkable gifts from God, the ability to love and to have compassion. We can exercise each of these whereby we become a, they become a part of our own being. Or we can choose not to and resort to some lesser being or where we reveal selfishness, greed, and hate that reside with us. We know, we know our life will be much richer if we choose that will and that gift of God that he has given for each of us. We know that each of us desire to exercise those wonderful gifts when possible. Let us pray now. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we gather this day once again, we thank you for the blessings of life and for the many things that we enjoy in life that not all share. So we would ask in this time in our service, that would be mindful of those who are less fortunate, that stand in need of many things that we take for granted. So bless us that we might be a cheerful giver, willing to impart a portion of that which you have blessed us with. And this we pray humbly now, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.
from the book of Isaiah, second chapter, beginning in verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days, when the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Yea, come, for ye have all gone astray, every one to his wicked ways. Whitney, Laura, thank you so much for your ministry of music. Indeed, that was sweet to the ears. Saints, it's good to be with you this morning. If you hadn't realized by my uh, opening scripture, I want to talk to you a little bit today about the kingdom. 
and the promises that are before us, it seemed very appropriate as we think about this Thanksgiving time that we remember this time of year. We're thankful for the harvest, thankful for those things that we have in our lives, and the promises that are just before us, especially as this world seems to uh, dissolve into a time of war, that the promises for us is that the kingdom will come and the nations will no longer raise up their sword once against another, but rather will beat those things into pruning hooks and things that reap the harvest rather than bring about war. And it's important for us to realize, I think, saints, the importance of the words of Isaiah. You know, it wasn't until just the last year or so when we as a congregation undertook a study in depth of the words of Isaiah that I realized the importance of what old brother Russell Beebe often spoke of, and that is the importance of the words that Isaiah has shared with us. And if you don't want to take Brother Russell's words for it, then how about the words of our Savior as are recorded in the Book of Mormon? He says, Remember that I spake unto you and said when the words of Isaiah should be fulfilled, Behold, they are written. Ye have them before you. Therefore, search them. And verily, verily, I say unto you that when they shall be fulfilled, then is the fulfilling of the covenant which, our father, which the Father hath made unto his people. O house of Israel, and then shall the remnants which shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth be gathered in from the east and from the west and from the south and from the north, and they shall be brought to the knowledge of the Lord their God who hath redeemed them. What powerful words the Lord spake in confirmation of the message of Isaiah and the importance of his words. It wasn't too long ago, and I was traveling with Brother Joe Gio and my son Isaac, and we were on a plane, and we had gone to uh, Palmyra. And we stopped in Chicago. We had a layover there before we finished our, the second leg of our our journey, and it was evening time, and we were hungry, and we sat down in a restaurant there in Chicago Midway Airport. Very busy time, lots of people around, and we found a place that had a few tables available, and we sat down and ordered our dinner, and it came, and we offered prayer there in that busy place. And then we began to visit with each other about the signs of the times, and we were talking back and forth about these things, and next to us, the table, which was only seemed like only about 12 inches away from us, was an elderly couple, and they engaged us in conversation and asked us that question, are you Christians? And we had a delightful conversation. And you know, as an elder, I'd like to think that I was able to bring some ministry to those folks. But honestly, I think the opposite was true. And I think they ministered to me more, far more, than I ministered to them. And that old man looked at me and goes, You know the book of Isaiah? <laughs> How about chapter 26? I said, Well, I know Isaiah pretty well. I don't have it memorized, though. And he said, Well, it tells of the end times. <laughs> and of that which is coming upon the land. And you know, that stood out to me in my mind, and I didn't have my Scriptures there at the table with me. They were in my suitcase across from me, and I didn't pull them out. I should have, in hindsight, and opened up to this 26th chapter of the book of Isaiah, but I sure did later. And these are the words that I read. And I think it's our lesson, saints, for today. And I'll warn you, these are not easy words to hear, necessarily. But they tell of that which is going to transpire in these last days. Do you have your Scriptures with you? Get them out. If you didn't bring them, surely there's some that are on the bench next to you. And open up in the Old Testament there to the book of Isaiah. 
At the very end of that chapter 26, I'm going to begin to read there down through the end, and then we're going to talk about it just a little bit. Verse 17 says, Like as a woman with child that draweth near the time of her delivery is in pain, and crieth out in her pangs, so have we been in thy sight, O Lord. We've been with child. We've been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We've not wrought any deliverance in the earth, neither have the inhabitants of the, earth, of the world fallen. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. For behold... The Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. So Isaiah talks about three different things there in those passages that I just read to you. The first of the coming forth of a child. A woman who is with child, ready to be delivered. The second thing he talks about is the resurrection. And then the third thing he talks about is how it is that there's going to come a time when we will need to hide for a little season that an indignation might overpass us. So I want to talk about each of those three things just briefly here. Do you remember having read in the Revelation of John, it's in the 12th chapter and the 7th verse, how the church is, uh, is shown as a woman and she's travailing with child. She's ready to bring forth, and it gives us an interpretation of these things. She's ready to bring forth a man-child. And Revelation tells us that that man-child is the kingdom And the woman is the church. And here we have in the book of Isaiah a clear indication to us in the last days of the condition that we will be in as the body of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ. And the comparison again here in Isaiah is made between a woman and the church. And this woman is in great pain, desiring to be delivered. But it says that there has been no success. She hasn't brought forth yet that kingdom. But she's near. She's near to the time of her delivery. And you know, the church sees this today. It seems like all we speak about, we can't seem to convert the souls. Our pews are not full. Our churches are not full. What happened to the church that we once knew, that we saw in the early days? Even go back to the 50s. Excuse me. When we saw progress in the church. And here Isaiah is describing the condition of the church where she speaks, but all she does is bring forth words or wind and hasn't wrought any deliverance in the earth, neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. And I think this is our condition at this moment in time. And then Isaiah immediately changed his description, and he's describing a vision that he had, and he begins to speak of the uh, the resurrection, or how it is that the dead men shall live together 
with my dead body shall they arise and wake. We as the church of Jesus Christ believe in the resurrection. There's a resurrection of the just and of the unjust that all will be resurrected. We don't know an awful lot about that. We don't talk an awful lot about that. But it's a significant event. Whether you're talking about those that have been resurrected or you're talking about those that, uh, that come down from the heavenly realm and walk and talk amongst us, the angels are promised to come to our aid and to be uh, with us. If you look in the book of uh, Matthew, in the uh, 13th chapter, Beginning at about um, 35, it says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked. The enemy that soweth them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world or the destruction of the wicked, and the reapers are the angels or the messengers sent from heaven. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world or the destruction of the wicked. For in that day therefore the Son of Man shall come, and he shall send forth his angels and messengers of heaven. Joseph Smith Jr. made a uh, a statement that um, that I had never before supposed, and he talked about the importance of angelic ministry, and he talked about all those that had gone on before, all of our forefathers, Adam on down, and he talked about the importance of the church of the firstborn, as it is in that heavenly realm, coming together and joining with the church of Jesus Christ that is here on this earth. He says that those that are in heaven, they yearn over us. They yearn over us. Why is that, saints? Because we are their posterity. We are their children. They want us to receive salvation through Jesus Christ just like they have received salvation. And so it is that they're dispatched at the direction of Jesus Christ Himself to come and to minister unto the children of men. And this is the importance of these things in these last days. The work that is before us and the coming forth of the kingdom does not only rest upon our shoulders, but it rests upon the shoulders of those who are in that heavenly realm. They without us cannot be made perfect, nor us without them. Joseph understood this, and he tied together those things that which is spiritual and that which is temporal, and the importance of the kingdom coming upon this, the footstool of our Master and our Savior. And then Isaiah changes again. And the third thing he speaks of is the indignation that will come. The punishment of the Lord that will come to the inhabitants of the earth. Now that's not very pleasant to think about, is it? It's not very pleasant at all, and I don't really look forward uh, to that. But that, uh, brothers and sisters, it's what's going to happen. I'm going to read to you out of the, uh, the third book of Nephi, the ninth chapter. Again, these are the words of Jesus Christ. So I think that you can uh, trust these words to be true. Beginning at verse 101, it says, Yea, woe be unto the Gentiles, except they repent. 
For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Father, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots, and I will cut off the cities of thy land, and throw down all thy strongholds, and I will cut off witchcrafts out of thy hands, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images I will also cut off, thy standing images out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the work of thy hands. And I will pluck up my groves, thy groves out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy cities. And it shall come to pass that all lying and deceiving and envying and strife and priestcrafts and whoredoms shall be done away. For it shall come to pass, saith the Father, that at that day whosoever will not repent and come unto my beloved Son, them will I cut off from among the people, O house of Israel, and I will execute vengeance and fury upon them, even as upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. These words are terrifying to those that are counted amongst the words of the wicked. They're terrifying to those that refuse to yield and recognize who their Savior is. Because these are the words of promise inasmuch as men are stubborn and carnal and sensual and devilish and refuse to give up these graven images that we have, then judgment is going to come upon them. And He's going to destroy them. And the Lord is going to bear His arm throughout all the nations of this world. And His desire isn't just to destroy His creation. But as it said in, uh, in the book of Isaiah, that He's going to punish the inhabitants for their iniquity. So a couple of years ago, I had a dream. And in this dream, I was standing in my living room of my home. And if you've been there, many of you have, the, the windows for our living room are facing the north and the east. And you can see out over the field and the, and the trees beyond. Um, and I stood there, and uh, the only one else that was there that was with me was my son Isaac. And we stood there, and I watched a storm coming in. And it was coming from that direction, from the north and, and the east. I couldn't, you couldn't exactly tell, but kind of in that general direction. And it was coming towards us. And the skies were angry. I'd never seen anything like it. The clouds were just boiling. And it was... Uh, I wasn't afraid... But it was very intimidating. And it got closer and closer. And, and finally I told Isaac, I was like, it's time to take shelter. And that was the end of my dream. And I pondered on that for the last couple of years, trying to understand what that meant. And a few things have come to my mind as I've asked the Lord about it. At the time, Isaac wasn't in the priesthood. And since that time, he's uh, accepted and been ordained a deacon. And so it was unusual to me that it was only he and I that were there in the living room together. And my whole family wasn't there. That seemed unusual. But I believe it was important because we represented the priesthood, Melchizedek and the Aaronic priesthood. The other thing that didn't make much sense to me is I've never known the priesthood to go and hide from a storm. Well, this was no ordinary storm. And it wasn't a temporal storm. I believe what I witnessed is what Isaiah described here. This uh, great indignation the anger and the fury of righteous God. And I thought to myself, well, I still don't understand why we would go and hide from such a thing. And you read here in Isaiah, it says, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chamber, 
and shut thy door about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. You remember the Hebrews, what happened in that land of Egypt so many years ago that we have uh, recorded? Book of Genesis, you can read up on that subject. They were told that a great indignation, that's a different word than what they used, but a great indignation was about to come, and it was going to take the firstborn of all the children of Egypt. And if they wanted to be protected from that, what did they have to do? They had to kill that sacrificial lamb. And then they had to take the blood of that lamb and they placed it upon their doorposts. And then they would go in and close the door and they'd eat that Passover together that the destroyer might pass them by. So there's precedence to this, saints. And I tell you these things not to make you fearful, but to warn you when you see them happening that you will know. And you can look back and say, I know that Isaiah talked about that. And we might need to hide ourselves for a little moment. Expect these things, brothers and sisters. These things will come to pass. Don't believe Joe Williams' words. Believe the words of Jesus Christ that I've read to you already. These things will come to pass. Study them out for yourselves. Now I'm going to take the advice of a young brother who at priesthood meeting says, make some of these things practical. How do I do these things? Or what is it that I need to do to prepare myself, in this case, for the coming of this indignation? There's two things that come to my mind. How do we prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ? One is look at the yearly theme that Brother Tony has placed before us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Well, that just seems too simple, Joe. That's because it is. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Christ. And I'll elaborate on that just a little bit more here in a minute. That's the spiritual preparation. The other is a temporal preparation. I think we need to be practically prepared. Each of us are different. Each of us have different sized families. Some of us, there's one at home. Some are two. Some are three, four, five. Brother Tom, seven. He's married off of one now, so six. (laughs) You see, we each have a different um, requirement for our preparation. Be prepared in temporal things. What does that mean, Joe? I don't know that I can give you advice on you should have X many loaves of bread or this many jars of applesauce. I can't give you all of that. You know what you need. Pray to the Lord about it. He'll give you some guidance on how it is that you need to prepare yourselves and your families. This I do know. When you have made a sincere effort to prepare for hard times, and those hard times come, and someone comes to your door and knocks and says, I don't have any bread. Do you have any? If your response is, come in, let me help, and put a meal before that person then I'll tell you that all your days that you're in need, that barrel of meal will not be depleted. And that cruise of oil will always have oil in it. The Lord will bless you. Now that's the temporal side of things. Let's talk a little bit about the spiritual side. Do you remember Daniel... He, uh, he set about a fast, and he made himself prepared 
because he wanted to understand some things that he saw in vision. And he prepared himself and he fasted for three weeks. Three weeks. I think the longest I've ever fasted is three days. How sad is that? But Daniel fasted for three weeks. And then after those, that time was over, an angel appeared to him. And he said unto me, O Daniel, and this is the tenth chapter of Daniel, if you're taking notes, starting at verse 11. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. Almost want to have you raise your hand. Who in here is a latter day saint? You don't have to raise your hand up, but you are. This is to us in these latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. Daniel saw the time in which we live. And so I look at these words that are recorded here and I say, you know, it seems to me that there is an opportunity for us to learn of how it is that we can draw in close association with our Heavenly Father. Did you notice that that angel that appeared to Daniel had been delayed for 21 days? How long did I tell you Daniel fasted for? Three weeks. How many days are in a week? Seven. Three times seven is what? (laughs) Twenty-one. As soon as Daniel began his fast, that angel was dispatched. Now, he was held up. I don't know who this prince of Persia is. I got a pretty good idea that held him up. And Michael who we know is Adam, had to come help the angel to free him up so that he could go and see and speak with Daniel. So what are those things that made Daniel ready for this experience? Because this is the spiritual preparation, saints, that I'm talking about. And the importance of the message of of Daniel here. It's in verse 12. He set his heart to understand that he might understand the will of his heavenly Father. Do we understand the will of our heavenly Father in our lives? Do we ask for that understanding? Do we seek him out in such a way that it might be made clear to us? Oh, I wish I could sit at the feet of Jesus Christ just like the disciples did and ask him to explain the parable. Did you notice how simplistic the Lord explained what that parable was? that they could clearly understand. We need to seek, saints, to understand. Pick up your books and read. Not only read, but study the Word of God that you might have this understanding. And the second is to chasten ourselves. I think about to be chased to be virtuous, to be humble perhaps? What does that mean to chasten thyself before thy God? These two things are of great importance that we might uh, seek to understand how it is that we can draw spiritually before our Heavenly Father. 
I want to read to you a, a scripture out of the book of Deuteronomy. I should have it memorized because it just so happens to come on one of these little cards that I handed out in March of this year. Our scripture memory verse for March of 2023 is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30 and 31. It says, When thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, there's those words again, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shall be obedient unto his voice, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. Saints, these promises are right before us. The Lord has given us so many scriptures to provide encouragement to us and to give us counsel and direction. We shouldn't be concerned about the impending disasters in this world. I don't know the sequence of how all of these things are going to come to pass. I don't know exactly when the kingdom's going to come. I don't know if the resurrection comes first or after. I don't know all of these things. I don't know when this storm's going to come that we're going to have to take shelter. But I do know this that He has promised to protect His people. And He gave us His word that we might understand. In August of this year, I gave you another. Scripture memory card. This is uh, Doctrine and Covenants, section 108, verse 11. The Lord set forth the fullness of His gospel, His everlasting covenant, reasoning in plainness and simplicity, to prepare the weak for those things which are coming on the earth. Do you feel weak? These scriptures are to prepare us for these things that are coming on this earth. I look so forward, saints, to the days that are before us. I look so forward to seeing how it is that exactly how the Lord is going to uh, fulfill the words of Isaiah. I look so forward to seeing the church, this woman, bring forth the child, the kingdom. It's within us. We know that it's there. We can feel the pains of labor. And you know, just as a woman, and I realize I'm not a woman, so I'm just going off of what others tell me and what I've learned They get to a point just before the birth when they don't feel like they can go any further. And they just don't see how they can do it. And then with a little encouragement, the child is born. Take this as a little bit of encouragement. Church of Jesus Christ, here in these last days, the kingdom is about to be born. Hallelujah. Be faithful. Be directed by His Spirit. Study His Word. Seek to understand. Call upon His name. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And may He bless us. Each and every one is my prayer.
Father, we are so thankful to Thee for the inspiration of Your Holy Spirit that we felt this day, for that warning voice to us, that certainly we are to ponder, seriously ponder Your Word in these last days. Father, we are so thankful for Your direction, for Your guidance, for your support, for your holy blessings in our lives as individuals. Father, as we see this time fastly approaching, may we ever be ready and prepared, looking forward to that glorious return of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, even to this land this land of Zion. I ask now that you would bless your children as they go to their homes, that they might carry this spirit with them, and it might bite in their homes each and every day as they offer their prayers of thanksgiving and honor and glory to thy name. I pray this prayer now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.